God could have chosen any title for David, and some of them would have been just fine. A David, a great warrior. A David, a mighty king. David, the great leader. Uh, David, strong in spirit, whatever. He could have chosen these titles, but he didn't. God chose for David, a man after my own heart, God says. Now, doesn't that tell us then God's heart for our hearts? Hi, and welcome back to Live in the Light. We're thankful that you've joined us. And just a reminder, as you do join us, that Live in the Light is a radio ministry designed to see radical transformation through the revelation of God's Word. Verse by verse, we would pray that God would open your hearts and change you from within for His great glory and your great joy. Hey, we're in the middle of a series on the life of David, and our teacher, Pastor Robbie Simons, is joining me in studio here. And Robbie, today's message is all about worship, but it's not quite the kind of worship we would, well, we're really accustomed to. That's right. That's right. You know what A.W. Tozer said about this? He said this 50 years ago. He said, worship acceptable to God is the missing crown jewel in evangelical Christianity. Isn't that something, eh? Worship acceptable to God is the missing crown jewel within evangelical Christianity. And so that's why today's passage is so important. You're going to see and hear, loved ones, that when David seeks to return the ark, man, it's one of these texts that his heart might have been in the right place in one sense, but he just didn't do it the way God intended. And the result was people were dancing, but then people were dying. And then in the end, people are really delighting. And so it's a fascinating text. I really think we're going to learn a lot today. I know I did even studying this. And so we're encouraged you're here and we pray you are encouraged. Again, the heart of worship in our lives really defines everything else we are and everything else we do. That's why God cares about your heart so much and particularly what we worship, which must be him. All right, so strong word from God's word today. Some cautions mixed in with some great encouragements, and we do pray that you are encouraged today. Let's go to our Bibles now and turn to today's message in 2 Samuel chapter 6, looking again at the heart of worship. Here again is Pastor Robbie. I pray that you would open your Bibles and ask that you'd open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel, I strongly encourage you to find a Bible and to open it up to 2 Samuel chapter 6. And with that, we rejoin uh, here on our series on the life of David. Now, as we've been going through this series on the life of David, Lord willing, we end this in a couple of weeks from now, just before September hits. The theme of this series is David, a man after God's own heart. David, a man after God's own heart. Now, notice, that is not just a nice tagline for a series. That is the title that God chose for David. God chose for David's title to be a man after my own heart. Now, God could have chosen any title for David, and some of them would have been just fine. A David, a great warrior. A David, a mighty king. David, the great leader. Uh, David, strong in spirit, whatever. He could have chosen these titles, but he didn't. God chose for David a man after my own heart, God says. Now, doesn't that tell us then God's heart for our hearts? 
Doesn't that reveal what's most important to God? Here you sit today, not by accident, here under the sovereignty of God and by the will of God, and you are here today to understand the thing that God cares most about in your life is that he has your heart. Because when he has your heart, he has your everything. So no wonder then the greatest commandment in scripture is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because again, when he has our hearts, he has our lives. And love is found at the center of the heart. If you want to find your heart, find out what you love. And what is love? Love is worship. Love is a form of adoration. Worship is right within love as well. What we have affection for. So today, our theme is understanding the heart of worship from the life of David. Understand this, the worship of our lives reveals the affection of our lives. What we worship also reveals the direction of our lives. That which you worship spurs you on to go in the direction of what you love. What do you love? What do you worship? You know, the Bible tells us in Psalm 15, we be, 115, we become what we worship. If you worship the love of money, you become like that sin of the love of money. If you worship things of the world, you become like the idolatry of the world. If you worship a form of man, you become that sinfulness of that individual. When you worship the Lord God Almighty, you become like his son, Jesus Christ, through the incredible path of sanctification, of growing more like him. We become what we worship. This is why God cares so much about the heart of worship. And the single thing that separated David from so many other men and women was his heart of worship for the Lord. And listen, the single greatest thing that will separate you and I from other people in our lives, men, women, marriages, leadership, churches, the single greatest thing that will separate us from other people in our lives is the heart of worship for the Lord Jesus Christ. Question for today. Here's the question we're seeking to answer. Do we have a heart of worship for the Lord? Do we have a heart of worship for the Lord? We're gonna to try to find that out today and we're gonna jump into our text now, 2 Samuel chapter Six. David here is going to learn some profound lessons on the heart of worship. And we're going to jump in and jump in the classroom with him. Second Samuel 6 verse 1 says this. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. It's a lot. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there, notice, the ark of God which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. Sounds important. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart. Notice that phrase, new cart, is used twice now. That must be for a reason. With the ark of God, and Ohio uh, went before the ark. Again, our theme today is the heart of worship. We're going to learn some very important principles of where our hearts are at of worship before the Lord. Very, very important today. And the first observation we learn uh, is this. Point number one is this. We're going to see here a pragmatic worship from David's life. Be very careful. A pragmatic worship 
before the Lord. Listen, be very careful when it comes to pragmatism and worship. When you read these verses, at first glance, it's like, hey, this is looking good. This is looking good. David is there. Saul is now dead. Uh, David is now king. And David wants to restore the center of Israel's worship. Again, sounds like a great idea. It is a great idea. And how does he do that? By bringing the Ark of the Covenant now to Jerusalem. In fact, this is such an important event that verse one tells us that David gathered all the chosen men, 30,000 men he gathers to see the Ark of the Covenant brought to Jerusalem. Now, when we come up with the Ark of the Covenant, what is the big deal when it comes to the Ark of the Covenant? Here's the big deal of the Ark of the Covenant. Some of us know, some of us don't. We're learning together now. The Ark of the Covenant, listen carefully, represented the immediate presence and glory of God. The Ark of the Covenant, say it again, represented the immediate presence and glory of God. It was the Ark of the Covenant that was located in the inner sanctum of the tabernacle. It was in the Holy of Holies as the only piece of furniture in the Holy of Holies within their tabernacle, which was the dwelling place of God himself. The Ark of the Covenant was everything to God's people representing the Shekinah glory of the Lord. So that is why a few chapters before our passage today in 1 Samuel, when the Israelites fight against the Philistines and they're losing, they're like, let's get the ark. We bring the ark. We got God's presence. We win. But the problem was is that they were sitting in all sorts of different ways. And the sons specifically of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, they were, they were um, uh, blaspheming the offerings of the Lord. And so they bring the ark to try to win the Philistines, but they lose in God's judgment. And not only do they lose, but the Ark of the Covenant is stolen from God's people. A young man runs back to tell Eli what has happened. And he says three things to Eli, who was very old at that time. He says, Eli, we lost. Your two sons are dead. And the Ark has been stolen. It says in God's word, in 1 Samuel 4, it says this, when Eli heard the news about the ark, not even as two sons died, when he heard the news about the ark, he fell off his seat where he was, broke his neck, and died instantly. And on top of that, his daughter-in-law, at that moment when the ark was captured, she gave birth to a son. The maidservant's like, hey, you gave birth to a son. She turned her face away from the son. And the Bible says his name will be called Ichabod for the glory has departed from Israel. Ichabod means the glory has been removed. The ark of the covenant was everything to Israel. To lose the ark meant you lost the presence of God. Why? Because the glory of the Lord dwelt upon the ark of the covenant. Again, wherever the ark was, God's glory rested, his Shekinah glory. So as we approach our text right now, the central piece of worship is returning to the central city of worship, Jerusalem. Needless to say, this is a massive deal when it comes to what God's people are doing and what they're trying to see established. Just before we move on, this is a point of application for us as we look at the history of Israel. Notice this, the ark of God was removed from God's people. Ready, ready? When true worship was removed from God's people. 
the moment they cease to worship God in spirit and in truth and in the fear of the Lord is the moment the presence of the Lord was taken from them, represented with the ark of God being stolen. You don't think that a heart of worship matters to God? A heart of worship matters so much when our hearts are not filled with pure worship for the Lord, we grieve the Holy Spirit, we quench the Holy Spirit, and we start to forfeit the power of his presence within our lives. You're not losing the Holy Spirit. He's with us at salvation, but you grieve the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden, the blessing of God is hard to find within our lives because God cares so much about the heart of worship before him that it's really about him and not about us. So this is where we come to our initial verses here and everything seemed to be going great, but it wasn't. And not all of us see why yet. I want you to notice, I think great intentions from David. I think good desires from David. He wants worship to be restored. It was a season of tremendous complacency with Saul and others. But notice, the obedience was not there. Some of you are like, well, what are you talking about, Robbie? They're just transporting the ark back to Jerusalem. Look at verse three. In verse three, it says, and they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab. Now, again, all this seems to be great until you understand they had just directly disobeyed the law of God. How, why? The Ark of the Covenant was literally a holy piece of furniture. In fact, it was so important to God that God provided exact instructions on how it was to be made and how it was to be handled, how it was to be transported. The ark, of course, ark means um, box or chest. The ark was to be made of wood. This is all given to Moses and the law of God was to be made of wood. It was to be gold-plated inside and out. The covering on the ark, on the chest, was called the mercy seat. Many of us have heard that term before. Some of us know what it is, some of us don't. But the mercy seat fit the exact dimensions of the chest as a covering. And the mercy seat had cherubim, angels, on top of it with their wings uh, folded out, covering their eyes out of reverence for the holiness of God. The mercy seat was so important because it was the mercy seat where the presence of God was supposed to dwell. It was the seat for God to sit on in the holy of holies, again, where his Shekinah glory dwelt. On top of that, once a year on the mercy, once a year and one man a year, the high priest would enter into the holy of holies once a year and sprinkle blood on top of the mercy seat to atone for the sins of the people and the very presence of God himself. It was a massive, massive deal. And this is all surrounding the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat and the cherubim. And within the Ark of the Covenant, there were three objects. There was the jar of manna representing God's provision. There was the rod of Aaron. And then there was the tablets of stone, none other than the 10 commandments themselves. You see, the Ark of the Covenant was so holy that the Bible tells us in Numbers 4, if anyone touches it, they will die instantly. God's holiness cannot be trifled with. So this is why God provides exact instructions on how the Ark is to be carried. There's nothing in God's word about the Ark supposed to be carried by a cart. The instructions were only Levites can transport it, only Levites, no one else. And the Levites would have to get gold-plated poles and insert the poles through the ringlets on the ark and they would carry it then on their shoulders close to their hearts, the hearts of the people with the holiness of God. 
Now, a lot of you right now have a visual in your mind and you're, is it right? And so I'm like that too. So let's get a picture. Here's the Ark of the Covenant, what it would have looked like. The box of the chest, the mercy seat as the covering, the cherubim of the angels there. And then the gold-plated poles through the ringlets carried on the shoulders of the Levites specifically set apart by God only to do this task. These details matter to the Lord. But see, then you see verses one to four. Notice specifically verses three and four, no sign of poles. There's definitely no Levites carrying this cart. And rather it's a, a, a cart that they have used. You know, the last people to use a cart to carry the Ark of the Covenant was the Philistines, Gentiles, people of the world, non-Jews. And so it's almost like the Israelites are getting their lead from the Philistines. Well, they seem to carry it. Nothing really happened to them, except they were cursed once the ark got into their territory, so they sent it back. The question we asked then, well, why would David do this? David was a man after God's own heart. David knew the word for sure. He would know the exact instructions and why God cares about this. David had to have known better. Why did David do this? Here's the problem with David's worship here. This is when David's worship became pragmatic. Now, what is pragmatism? Pragmatism is a form of worship or philosophy based on if it gets results, it must be right. So the results of pragmatism overcome the process. So pragmatism in our day, in dangerous places, the church is finding itself in forms of pragmatic worship. Well, the people like it, so it must be good. God must be blessing it because it's working. But the ways of God are not the ways of man. And when it comes to pragmatism in our worship, we must be extremely careful. What I want to do right now from David's examples, I want to pull out three caution signs of pragmatic worship for our lives right now. On the screen for you right here, here are three signs of caution of pragmatic worship. Number one is this, loved ones, be very careful of a worship of convenience. It's pragmatism. It's convenient for us. Let's do it. There's no sacrifice in it, but let's, it's convenient for us. It's easier. You know, David used the cart. Why? Well, the cart was easier. Timely, easier, convenient. Hey, there's a cart. Here's the ark. We want to worship God. Good intentions, wrong practice. Here's the cart. Let's use it yet directly against the commands of the Lord. And we have to imagine that likely David was influenced by the Philistines. Because they did it. Isn't that a word for the church today? We look around, hey, what's working? What's working in the world? Let's adopt the trends of the world and bring it into worship of our God. That is a dangerous game to play. Well, it's working for them. It should work for us. God's not about the world. And God's not about them. God's about his way. God's about his glory. God's about his holiness. You know, the church is... Um, entering into ridiculous forms of a pragmatism of worship about convenience. I read um, an article a couple of years ago of a church that was offering a drive through window for communion. <laughs> but see, like the church is serious about it. Like they actually think this is a great idea. Why? Because it's convenient for the people. It's a form of worship that is bringing God down to such a level that God revolves around us. We don't revolve around him. That's pragmatism. That's convenient worship. The convenience of worship is, God, you go on my way. You, God, you go on my time. God, you go on my rules. God, you do what you, I want you to do. And then maybe I'll just give you a couple of dimes and a couple of songs from my mouth and a, a couple of moments of my day, but not more than that because it's not convenient for me. Is that worship? 
Like, is, is that what God deserves when he sent his son to die for our sins and take on the very wrath of God himself and all our punishment that we all of a sudden would respond in kind by saying, I'll worship you when it's convenient. I could give us so many examples right now, but the danger of these examples is dropping into legalism. So what I want to do, this is a message on the heart. This is all about the heart. It's a heart of worship. I want you to ask yourselves, where is your worship? Where is my worship being weakened due to our love of convenience and this consumerism? Our world's obsessed with consumerism. Anything to make life easier. Anything to make life easier, especially in the last couple of generations. The problem is we take that philosophy of the world and we take it into the church and people walk in day after day and week after week and month after month and they're saying, what's in it for me? When do I get the song I want? When do I get the seat that I want to sit in? How come I have to park in the grass? You're asking me to park in a parking lot over there? Are you kidding me? That's not convenient for me. When, it, when, when is it? You want me to give what? You want me to do what? No, 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 no. This is about me, people. It's a worship of convenience, man. Watch out. Be very careful. That is not worship in the fear of the Lord. Romans 12 verse one says this. Paul says, therefore, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. What's the mercy of God? It's the gospel. I appeal to you by the fact that Jesus Christ died for your sins, suffered on your behalf, died in your place, and rose from the dead, giving you victory and eternal life. I appeal to you by the mercies of God. He says this, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable to God. Why? For this is your spiritual worship. It's worship. Notice this, our, our day of convenience. It's not, it's not convenient for me. And then we go along. There's no holy and acceptable. There's no sacrifice. It's not worship. It's pragmatism. It's a worship of the church in our day riddled with this. Forfeiting the fear of God and the blessing of God and entering into the will of man. Here's the second caution I want you to see. Be careful of a worship of carelessness. Was the cart quicker for David? Was it quicker? Yep. Yep, it was. Loved ones, be very careful of expediting your worship before the Lord. We live in a day of the sermonette, don't we? How many churches, man, a sermon, 18 minutes long, got to make sure that people get swish away on time. Got to make sure that happens, man. Got to end the service. Can't go longer than 60 minutes. No way. Got to be about them. I'm just, 17 minutes, man, that's my introduction. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? How can you faithfully handle the word of God and start to unpack the glory and the mystery of what's in here and do that in a handful of minutes? Who's really being helped by that? Now, I'm not into hour-long sermons, but hear what I'm saying here. What are we actually trying to do? I mean, okay, this is a dangerous thing to say, whatever, too, right? But the, but the carelessness of our day, the way that we approach church, the way that we approach the worship of our God, strolling in late, leaving early, barely making it. I just, again, I'm, 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 I'm hesitant to even bring up examples because of the legalism that can say, it's the heart, it's the heart. The heart matters to the Lord. Where's our hearts? Do we know what we're doing? Do we understand the importance of what's before us? Sometimes things in the church have gotten so casual that it can nothing other than flat out sinful irreverence. People sitting in church, man, shoving popcorn in their face, coffee all over the place, texting their friends in the middle of worship. Watch your heart. You know what I'm talking about too, man. You see these arenas and you're, you have this song on the screen, you're looking around the people and just like, what in the world are we doing right now? What is this? 
Hebrews 12 has something to say about this too. Hebrews 12 says this, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Now, what is the kingdom? It's the gospel. If we belong to Christ, the kingdom of the world is done. All the governments, they're all going, man. They're not lasting. They will be, but the kingdom of God will not be shaken. So therefore, because we've been saved in Christ, thus, here's the implication. Let us offer to God acceptable worship. God cares about this so much. What kind of worship? It goes on. Reverence and awe. Let's church over Why? What is going on? Are we before holy God or are we all about ourselves? Man, I hope this thing... Reverence and our wife, for our God is a consuming fire. That's not funny. It's what we're called to do. It's called to be. Be very careful of pragmatism entering into your worship of a careless, casual approach to the holy God of the universe, where we will have to give an account for everything we've said and done. And then thirdly, look at this. Be careful of a worship of compromise. So David had right intentions, I believe, but he simply had wrong practice. He went against what God's word so clearly said for him. And you think of the capitulation to culture in our day. So many people tempted to really rip out pages of God's word, to gloss over, to ignore, to fiddle with, to change because the culture doesn't like it. It's compromising God's word when God has so clearly said Magazine a couple of years ago, a well-known preacher. He was venting and loathing uh, long sermons. January 1st was coming. So he said he resolved to do better in the coming year. Quote, he says this, that means wasting less time listening to long sermons and spending more time preparing short ones. But then he says this, quote, people I've discovered will forgive even poor theology as long as they get out before noon. What is that? What is that? That's pathetic is what that is. You know what he's saying? Basically, I can lead people away from Jesus Christ, but they'll forgive me as long as they get out in time to have the lunch that they desire because they're more concerned with the physical nourishment than they are for the nourishment of their soul, which saves them from hell and leads them to eternal life in Jesus Christ. Really? This is what it's come down to? No wonder the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That statement I just read to you right there, that is a complete absence of the fear of the Lord. And so a lack of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of foolishness. And you lose the fear of the Lord and you end wisdom. This is why it's one of the greatest needs of our day right now, the fear of the Lord. Because of the fear of the Lord, we have no wisdom. And wow, do we need wisdom. The Lord works among those who desire to worship him with a heart that is real and pure. Be very careful of pragmatic worship in your life. And David was gonna learn the lesson the very hard way. It takes us to point number two, which is this. Now we see this, a presumptuous worship now. Be warned. A presumptuous worship. Be warned. Look at verse five now. In verse five, it says this, and David and all the house of Israel were making merry before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. So seemingly everything's going great, man. They're dancing, they're celebrating. Here comes the ark. Who wasn't celebrating? God wasn't celebrating. Verse six, and when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God, took hold of it. Why? Because the oxen stumbled. 
and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and God struck him down there because of his error and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had burst forth against Uzzah and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Notice here, notice in verse five, uh, the worship began with joy and celebration, but it's presumptuous. In verse 10, the mood turns to despair, anger, and death. The error of David's pragmatism in verses one to four led to a fatal presumption in verses five to seven. Notice that they're transporting the ark on a cart. The oxen stumble. Loved ones, by the way, the oxen stumble according to the sovereignty of God. God would have caused the oxen to stumble according to his will, that he may accomplish his purposes that results in his glory. And as the oxen stumble, the cart's about to fall off. Uzzah reaches out. He should know better. He's not a Levite. You cannot place your hand. He reaches out seemingly innocently to steady the ark. And the moment he places his hand upon that which is never to be touched, he instantly falls down dead. Again, number four, numbers four says, if anyone touches the ark, surely they will die. You're listening to Live in the Light with Robbie Simons. Well, a convicting message for sure, but one that finds us at the end clinging again to the grace that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Loved ones, there is no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. We cling to that truth today as we wrap up this episode and pray that God's grace be with you this day. That's all for today, listeners. Join us again next time here on Live in the Light.